Explode your to-be-read pile with The New Release Index, your new best friend for finding the best new books. Curated by the book nerds here at Book Riot, it will help you keep track of the upcoming books we think should be on your radar. You can filter by genre, what's trending among other subscribers, and save books to your own watch list. And you can check out the demo at bookriot.com slash new releases. That's bookriot.com slash new releases. Happy browsing! Welcome to Red or Dead, a bi-weekly podcast where we talk about the world of mysteries and thrillers. This is episode 138, and we are recording on Monday, October 17th. I'm Katie McLean Horner, along with Kendra Winchester, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Hi, Kendra. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. How are you doing, Katie? I don't want to talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) Look, let me just put it this way. The last two Mondays have just been off to terrible starts. The Mondayest of Mondays. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, no, they really have been. And I think I, I described it that way to someone. I think last week I was like, okay, this has been just about the most Monday Monday I've ever experienced. So, um, yeah, I would really rather talk about something more pleasant. Please tell me you have something more pleasant. I I do. I do indeed. So it is barely cold here um, down in South Carolina near the low country, but it's getting a little chilly. And so we but we still have toads and lizards everywhere. Like we don't have, you know, we have lizards hanging off the screens and all of that sort of thing. So my Corgi Gwen Liam, she's a little over a year old. She loves toads and she doesn't want to eat them. She gently nudges them along their way. So all summer she has missed the toads because it was just too hot and too dry for them. But now they're everywhere. She keeps conning me into taking her out to go potty. She doesn't want to go potty. She wants to play with the toads. And this blessed little corgi is just so sweet, and she seems kind of, um, we'll say, absent-minded. So you wouldn't think that she could be that deceitful, but here we are. So um, I'm always, she's always dragging me out there, and she just wants to play with the toads. And Dylan's like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> like, I feel like I, I may have mentioned, I've told this story before, but I have a friend who has a very large dog. And he does the same thing except with turtles. Actually, he might do it with frogs, too. Except your dog is kind and gentle. (laughs) And I don't think her dog sets out to torture the turtles. But it is an annual thing that my friend despises because ever she lives in Connecticut and they live right on the banks of this river. So they get all kinds of wildlife in their backyard. And she knows it's spring when they find the first turtles of the season. And this is a big dog. He's got to be 80 to 90 pounds. He's huge (laughs) and very strong. And so she'll be taking him out to do his business. And then all of a sudden, he sees a turtle and he makes a run for it. And so it usually ends up with her having to chase him around the yard. He's got this poor turtle in his mouth, just like, what is happening right now? (laughs) And he's playing keep away from her. And she's trying to catch up with the leash. Or if she manages to hang on to the leash, he has dragged her through the dirt and the mud and the grass. And she has said that she has been late to work before because she had to go in and change clothes because the dog dragged her through the yard to get at the turtles. 
It's oh like this goodness. thing, and I am like, okay, I really, I, I really do like dogs, but you just don't have these problems <laughs> with cats. You I'm just going to say that. So, yeah, so I just make a note, and then I'm like, okay, if, we, if or when we ever do get a dog, we're not getting one the size of my friend's dog. Yeah. Because we, too, have lots of turtles around where we live, and I am not playing those games. Yeah. Yeah, no, they're they're very insistent. And Gwenlian, like you said, she just thinks they're little friends. She loves to poke the lizards off the screen from the inside. And with the toads, she just, she gets down to the ground, like, crouching and pokes it and waits for it to move and just follows it and keeps poking it so it'll keep jumping. But she doesn't try to eat it or grab it or anything. Dylan is like, you are an embarrassment. <laughs> <laughs> and Gwenlian, is, is she your young one or your older one? She's the younger one, yeah. Okay, yeah. I was I was about to say that Dylan's like in my in my aged wisdom, I am beyond. <laughs> I am beyond playing with toads. Yeah, he's he's definitely a southern gentleman, so I always hear that like southern draw. And uh, Gwenlian's from the mountains, so it's always like this, <laughs> this stereotypes uh, against each other. But they're very cute. Dylan has finally begun to accept her a little bit more. So we're making progress. But the poor toads, um, they startle me because they're brown like the ground. And I'm, mm-hmm. I love toads. I think they're adorable. And I'm afraid of stepping on them. <laughs> so she'll just start barking, like making these little noises. And I'm like, oh, no, where is it? <laughs> Did I kill it? <laughs> Don't move. So anyway, so that's the happiness we have this week. Thank you for sharing your happiness. That that made me just a teensy bit happier. <laughs> you know, that's what the corgis are here for. <laughs> yeah. And hopefully by the time all of you lovely listeners are listening to this episode, because we're recording this on a Monday, hopefully by the time you listen to this on Friday or afterwards, my week will have started to, got, to get better. We shall see. Sending good vibes for the future. Oh, boy, do I need them. <laughs> Real quickly, before we jump into um, the rest of, you know, what we want to talk about today, I do want to mention again, last episode, we talked briefly about the book Reading the Stars that Book Riot has collectively authored. And we just wanted to put in another shout out for that book, which is designed to help you better understand how your zodiac sign shapes your reading life. So all of us are readers who are listening to this show and astrology and and zodiac signs and stuff are super popular. So I think these these are two areas of interest that intersect pretty well. So this book offers book recommendations to help you build on your strengths, explore areas of growth, understand your own sign, learn about other signs. And through October 31st, you can enter to win Book Riot's Reading the Stars. And you can enter to win the not only the book, but also a wall print, a notebook, a tote bundle. It's just all kinds of fun swag in there. So you'll find a link to the giveaway in the show notes. So make sure to check that out. And then before we jump into the rest of the episode... Needless to say, I haven't been reading a ton this last week, again, because of the mon- the Mondayest of Mondays. What have you been reading recently, Kendra? Well, I've been reading a wonderful book called Black Folk Could Fly by the late Randall Keenan. Randall Keenan is a gay Black man from North Carolina, and he is just a treasure. Uh, and most of his life, he's been called a writer's writer. So maybe not the average person has heard of him, but he's very respected and admired in his field. 
And his book, If I Had Two Wings, was long listed for the National Book Award in 2020, shortly after he passed away. And so this book has come out posthumously. Um, it is selected nonfiction writings. He was more well known for his fiction, but I adore these essays. They're just so thought provoking and they just make you think about the South. And one of the essays I really like is like his response to Hamilton, the musical, because a lot of people didn't like it. And so this uh, essay is more about thinking about the fact that as a Southern Black man, he understood the South in a certain way, and there's a deep love for the South. They are Southern. And I think of Amani Perry's book, South to America, where she argues that the heart of America is really with Black people, particularly from the South. And it's just a beautiful essay that's just so much, it's very timely, loved it, would recommend. <laughs> Oh, that's yeah. That sounds that sounds awesome. And you know, if you're if anyone's looking for a non mystery recommendation, there you go. Yes, I uh, hadn't. I'm talking about all the things that I have read recently already. So we are moving to the nonfiction as a brief interlude. All right. So real quickly, let's take a pause and jump to our first sponsor. Explode your to-be-read pile with The New Release Index, your new best friend for finding the best new books. Curated by the book nerds here at Book Riot, it will help you keep track of the upcoming books we think should be on your radar. You can filter by genre, what's trending among other subscribers, and save books to your own watch list. And you can check out the demo at bookriot.com slash new releases. That's bookriot.com slash new releases. Happy browsing. Okay, so if you are a new listener, welcome. We're delighted to have you. And if you're a longtime listener, welcome back. As always, we are delighted to have you in or have you join us every two weeks. And like we mentioned at the top of the show, we talk about mysteries and suspense and just about anything that falls under the under that ginormous umbrella, whether it's true crime or big news in the world of adaptations or, you know, new series, exploring new subgenres, all of that fun stuff. If it's mysterious and suspenseful, it is fair game for us to talk about. So this is the part of the episode where we always put out a call to our listeners to let us know if you have any ideas for upcoming shows, because as I have said many times in the past, your suggestions for episodes have really helped us plan out so many of the episodes that we've recorded over the years. It helps us because we get an idea of what you, the listeners, would like to hear more of. It's a great way for us to expand our own reading horizons and how we think about mysteries and suspense and all of that fun stuff. So win-win situation all around. So if you do have any ideas or recommendations, you can shoot us an email or reach out via social media. We always have our contact information in the show notes and at the end of the show, so don't worry about trying to get information down now. We just put out the call ahead of time to get all of those creative juices flowing while you listen. And even if you don't have an idea, but you just want to say hi, we love hearing from our listeners. So please do feel free to send us a note. And if you enjoy this podcast, definitely leave us a review over at Apple Podcasts so that other people can find us. And with that, I'm sad to say we're going to have to, I think we have to kick off the news segment with 
some, you know, very, very sad news in, in the yeah. world of just mysteries and suspense. But if you are not already aware, Angela Lansbury, the actress who played uh, Jessica Fletcher uh, with Murder, She Wrote, has passed away at the age of 96, which is a really strong run for anyone. But of course, you know, it's always sad to, to lose such a someone who who is known for such beloved roles, especially like like Jessica Fletcher. Yeah, yeah, it was this is one of the ones that, you know, you're like sending good vibes to like Maggie Smith and oh. and whatnot. Knock on wood. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I was so sad. I, I mean, Murder, She Wrote is an institution. I watched it with my grandma, like, uh, and, you know, Belle is my favorite Disney princess and, you know, she was Mrs. Potts and there's just, yeah, yeah, this was a really rough one. Yeah, I I have to say I I don't yeah, I was going to say I didn't have a bunch of family members that watched Murder She Wrote, but I I'm, I'm pretty sure my mother-in-law has has watched a bunch of a bunch of the episodes. But I know, you know, that like you said, it's was such an institution. Like, you know, it it was its own show, but then she would also, you know, there were the Murder She Wrote books and there were I'm I feel like I know I'm pretty sure that she made like crossover appearances into like other shows or other stories. And, you know, that type of, you know, that type of cozy yet engaging and relatable mystery. I mean, there's a reason why it's, you know, it's so timeless. It appeals to so many people. And yeah, it just yeah, that's that's a that's a really, really big loss. So yeah, I don't know that there's any there's much more that that I can say about that, but um yeah, if you were not aware that she had passed away, I am sorry to be the bearer of bad news. Yeah. Yeah, just I don't know, we need to do some sort of protective circle around Julie Andrews and Maggie Smith and <sighs> Yeah. Yeah, I I I don't like when you start hearing about celebrity deaths. Yeah. I get nervous. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know why it is they all come together like in little groups, you know. Mm-hmm. I still remember when Carrie Fisher and her mother <sighs> died like within a week of each other over the holidays. Uh-huh. I just sobbed and <laughs> listened to Carrie Fisher's memoirs all over again. And my dad was like, "What's wrong?" I was, I was like, "You don't understand." <laughs> so Yeah, that was that was a rough one for sure. But yeah, so yeah, send 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 protective thoughts and prayers to all of your favorite actors, actresses, celebrities, writers, musicians. Yeah. Anyone who falls falls under that umbrella starts start sending good vibes to to them. Oh, all right. Well, with that, I've going to say I don't we haven't had, you know, no one else has you know, we don't have news of anyone else passing away, but unfortunately, some some more not not great news. If you have been excitedly looking forward to the adaptation of Devil in the White City, like so many of us have been doing for like literally years at this point, it appears that they've hit a major snag in the production, namely that uh, Keanu Reeves was set to be starring in the series adaptation, but is no longer. And the series has also lost its director. So those are two ginormous losses for a production. And I don't know 
it's been, I mean, they've had so many big names attached to this. I mean, it, Martin Scorsese and Leonardo DiCaprio and Keanu Reeves. Like, I don't know if a project like that would just get scrapped, but it's certainly not good news when you lose two of your biggest players within a week of each other. Yeah, that is rough. Like, I mean, I've been waiting for this since, you know, it was announced and I love Keanu Reeves and I was so excited that they had signed. Like, it seemed like we were finally, finally getting there and then this happens and it's just like, oh, my heart sank. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen with that. Um, like I said, hopefully this is not the... This is not, you know, the first signs of a sinking ship. But yeah, fing fingers crossed that they'll still be able to put this series out. Because yeah, I I loved the book when I first read it. And when I found out that they were planning an adaptation, that just made me even more excited. And so yeah, I was very sad to, to hear about that. Well, I guess I have the bit of positive news. Um, oh, good. I'm glad we, ar <laughs> we arranged it this way. <laughs> I was like, but we'll end on an up note. Um. So Kenneth Branagh is making the third Poirot. 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 Thank you. I'm, what she said. Uh, <laughs> Hooray, high school French. <laughs> uh, and so he's directing the next. Uh, he's making the next one, and it will be based on the novel Halloween Party, and it's the old spelling of Halloween with the apostrophe between the two e's, which I haven't seen in a hot minute. So I am very excited for this. I really appreciate that the style of these like remakes slash adaptions uh, have has been really over the top, very extra. I'm here for it. I feel like that's what I imagine when I think of Agatha Christie. And yeah, I don't know. I just I'm excited for it. I always um, go back and read the novels because I didn't read Agatha Christie until I was an adult. So oh, I feel good, like I'm not the only one. <laughs> I know. I'm like, ah. um, so I read whatever adaption is going on. I try to do that before I watch the movie just because it is a mystery and there are a lot of spoilers, you know, so. Yeah. And with this one, I was interested because the, you know, the first one was Murder on the Orient Express. Second one was Death on the Nile. Those are two of her biggest, mm -hmm. Agatha Christie's biggest novels. And then this one, Halloween Party. And I'm like, I'm vaguely aware that she had a book titled Halloween Party. Do I know anything about it? No, no, I don't. Yeah. Like, like I said, I, only I read I've only read a few Agatha Christie novels and they've all been actually they've all been since we started recording the podcast because back when Rincey was co-hosting she was she was what you've never read an Agatha Christie I'm like I'm so sorry so I have since righted that wrong um but yeah I have not I have not read Halloween Party before so that it will be interesting to see to see how this movie turns out and uh, what will happen with the mustache. <laughs> It is very iconic. <laughs> because I'm I'm gonna I'm not gonna lie, the first time I saw the trailer for Murder on the Orient Express, the only thing I could think was mustache. Like that was like the mustache I'm surprised it was not like didn't have its own listing in the credits. Like very true. I feel like that embodies how extra and over the top and exaggerated a lot of this is. Like they they have fun with it, right? Which I really appreciate in a mystery. Maybe it's because I loved the clue movie. Back oh, in the day yeah. where that was so over the top and ridiculous and I absolutely loved it. So um, I haven't seen it in a hot minute just to clarify, but I remember it being great. Yeah, no, that, that was a favorite of us in college when we, that we'd watch on a weekend. We watched Clue a lot. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So with that, 
let's go ahead and jump into the main part of our episode, which if I'm remembering correctly from two weeks ago when we decided what we wanted to talk about, I think this was this was your suggestion, Kendra. It was a listener suggestion. Oh, that's right. It was a listener suggestion. Well, you were the one who brought it up, so who, who <laughs> pulled it from the email to suggest it. So, so yeah, we are going to talk about, again, because it is still spooky season, we are going to talk about books that are told in part or primarily from the point of view of the villain, which I think is, it is, I, I love the idea when it's, when it's done well. And it's also interesting because this is just from working in libraries and talking to so many different readers. This, this is a trope that some people just absolutely flat out do not want in their book <laughs> because it just takes them to dark, nasty places. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it's really interesting to see like the rise of villain POVs from like you know the school of good and evil to like Disney villain retellings in oh, novel yeah. form. Like, so I really love seeing that resurgence. But most of the time, I see that more in fantasy spheres. So when I find a good a good one to be <laughs> a quality one that I feel like it's the right balance. It's like it's the best find for me. And that's sometimes really difficult to hit. I I went over several when we when I was like researching for this. And it was really difficult to find one that I felt struck the right balance. Because maybe I'm just like a a picky reader, which is fair. But also, like you said, like, I don't want it to go. I don't want to go too dark for me. Because that's like, you know, I'm not I'm not exactly a weenie, but I'm next door. (laughs) <laughs> I like that. Yeah. And me, I I go, I mean, maybe not all in, but I go pretty far, far in with the dark stuff. So for me, I'm like, yeah, for me, I can take I can take it, not take it or leave it. But yeah, sometimes sometimes if it's if it's too heavy handed or too over the top, but without like a little tongue in cheekness, sometimes I just I'm like, okay, no, not not hitting it for me. It's just yeah, not ringing ringing the right bells for me. But yeah, when it when it's done well, I think you know it's an interesting way to tell a story. It's an interesting way to play with the reader's expectations. It's also just I mean the other thing that I needed to make sure was that when I was picking my stories I was not inadvertently giving away spoilers because I saw that when I was looking through suggested, you know, reading lists and like you mm-hmm. mentioned a lot of them were fantasy, but there were there were some mystery ones where they where they mentioned the book and I was just like yeah, but that that gives away the plot. Like, yes, exactly. Oh, so you do have to be careful with some of these how you, how you describe it, or if you're like, oh yeah, this makes a really good reader. Like, just be spoiler aware. And I don't think I don't think either of mine are spoileries. So spoileries, new word. <laughs> I like it. Well, while I'm over here inventing new words, why don't you give us your first pick? Okay, so my first pick is "For Your Own Good" by Samantha Downing. And I read this uh, when it first came out, and I was so excited by the premise. So it's this guy, Teddy Crutcher, who won Teacher of the Year Award at an esteemed boarding, like a private school. And he hates being a teacher. He hates being a teacher from the first 
pages. We know he hates his job and he hates with these kids, but most of all, he dislikes the kids' parents. <laughs> so if you're a teacher, this might be cathartic. <laughs> um, bless you, all you teachers doing, you know, the Lord's work. But uh, this is <laughs> this guy has had it. And so he wins Teacher of the Year Award and a student comes to interview him for the paper, as is the custom at that school. And they begin, you know, nosing around kind of in his personal life because no one's seen his wife in a while. And then someone dies. We'll just say someone dies. And he's like, oops, um, I didn't mean to do that. And the whole point is you're kind of learning how that happened and like, what's he going to do about it, right? So it's very much like, I don't know, it's like you're, you're rooting for this guy to get away with it. It's like Ocean's Eleven, but more sinister, right? In a school. Um, but I couldn't stop listening. I listened to the whole thing in 24 hours. Um, yeah. So when I, yeah, when I saw that you had picked a Samantha Downing book, I was glad because she was one of the first authors that popped into my mind when I was thinking of writing books that are written from the villain's point of view. Cause she's done it. She's done it a couple of times. Like my, uh, was it my lovely wife or yeah, my lovely wife. That was the first book that I thought of with the husband and wife that have a really, really disturbed way of keeping their marriage going. But yeah, so I think I think right now she's like one of the top picks if this is a trope that you're interested in, for sure. Yeah, and I think she keeps it really funny so that it's like this dark humor. And I believe at the time the book came out, it was announced that Robert Downing Jr. was going to play the lead in a movie adaption of the novel. So I kept imagining Robert Downey Jr. as Teddy. And I was like, yep, yep, that, that tracks. I could see that. <laughs> so that is For Your Own Good by Samantha Downing. And Katie, what is your first pick? Well, before we do the first pick, um, I'm going to pause once again for our second sponsor. All right. So my first pick is a book that we've talked about on the show a few times. And this book is Out by Netsuo Kirino, uh, translated from the Japanese by Steven Snyder. And this book... What I when I was deciding what books to talk about, I thought this one would be really interesting because it makes you like well, let me let me start with a quick plot description and then I will jump into what what my thoughts are. So the story follows multiple women who all work at the same factory. They work the night shift. They they all work at the same factory and one of the women at home, she ends up, uh, at the beginning of the book, this is not a spoiler, she ends up strangling her husband, who basically does nothing except sit around the house. And she she ends up strangling him in a fit of rage. And she seeks the help of her co-workers to cover up her crime and dispose of the body. And the story proceeds from there. That that happens in the, you know, the first the first part of the book. I will say that the the way that they dispose of the body is pretty gruesome. They and the author goes into a fair amount of detail about how this all plays out. So I will give that heads up. This is not a book for the faint-hearted. But what I liked about this book is that or at least talking about it in the context of, you know, villain point of view. 
I am not going to sit here and pretend that, you know, I'm not going to pretend that what these women did in terms of in terms of what they what they do to the body and how they get rid of it and and the other issues that they end up entangled with. These women are not innocent. I I'm not going to I'm not going to pretend that they are. But the book makes you think about who is the villain. And you know, it's a, it's it very much looks at you know, the the idea of women's anger and uh women committing violence which is, you know, there's there's lots of topics to talk about. In fact, I think I think we've done an entire episode on the on the concept of women's anger and and women committing violence and stuff like that. We may have even talked about this book in connection with that episode now that I think about it. But it really makes you as the reader think about, you know, who who you sympathize with. And I think that's something that the that the trope of the villain point of view does really well is yeah, it makes you because you're in the person's head or you're following them along as all of this stuff is happening, just by virtue of the fact that you're just kind of spending so much time with them, there's a part of you that in a lot of cases starts to sympathize with them or just kind of be like, you know, I kind like if you've if you've seen the the musical Chicago, you know, he had it coming. <laughs> like it it makes it makes you kind of start to think about that. And I think that and I always find books that that make you question you know, the question, the nature of morality, which this book kind of does, like, those are really powerful reading experiences. Um, and like I said, this book is is pretty, is pretty violent. It's been a while since, since I've read it. Um, but those scenes stick with me pretty graphically. Um, I'm gonna take a guess, Kendra, you probably have not read this book before, if you're if you're living next door to Weenie, but... <laughs> well, I have actually. Um, it was one of my picks when I recorded a guest spot with Nostra, and I had read it for, a, I think it was um, Asian Books in Translation for a pod oh, yeah. episode with Reading Women, and so uh, she was also, <laughs> I think, like, oh, like, because that's not um, normally my vibe, but I really found it fascinating because... I really love the trope of, oh, no, someone is dead and we must now get rid of the body. I shall call my friends, you know? <laughs> like, you, I was going to say, a lot of people have those friends. I don't know that I would contact my coworkers first. I definitely would not contact my coworkers first. Um, but my friends, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, um, I'll just call in all my favors. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, pretty pretty much. Um, and I'm kind of hoping that none of my coworkers are listening to this episode. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, again, uh, that book is out by Natsuo Kirino and is translated from the Japanese by Steven Snyder. And my uh, second pick is uh, My Sister the Serial Killer by Oinkan Braithwaite. This was, I believe, a finalist for the Booker Prize several years ago. And I wanted to pick this book because it's about someone who doesn't seem to understand that they are also a pro like the the villain POV. Like it's their sister. It's her sister. She's a nurse, and uh, her sister has this bad habit of killing her boyfriends. 
And she goes and clean, helps clean it up as a nurse. She understands, like, all the things you have to do to sterilize, et cetera, et cetera. But she always views her sister as the one doing the bad thing. She kind of denies to herself, like, what she's doing. But the big wrench that starts the novel, so I won't give any spoilers, is that this nurse has had a crush on, I believe, one of the doctors in her hospital. And then her sister meets him and sets her sights on this guy that she has a crush on. And oh no, is her sister going to kill the guy she has a crush on? What does that mean? Et cetera, et cetera. And that's where the novel starts. It's very short, but has a lot of punch to it. It's a lot of fun as a thriller as well. So yeah. Yeah. My sister, the serial killer is hands down one of Red or De- one of the long time Red or Dead favorites. Like we, oh my gosh, we talk about this book so much. <laughs> I I love it so much, and I love that it's so short because it packs so much into this tiny little package. And it also has one of the gr- one of my favorite book covers of all time. Like, oh, if you've seen the cover of this book, you understand. And if you haven't seen the cover of this book, you need to go check it out because <laughs> it's so it's so good. Like you have the I'm guessing it's the main character, but you have this gorgeous black woman on the cover and she's got these mirrored sunglasses. And in the mirrored sunglasses, you see someone holding a giant like butcher knife. And it's just, oh, I love this book so much. <laughs> Yeah, it was. I thought it was interesting that we both had books where, like, there is a person who has to kind of come and clean up this mess, and how like there's deep connections between these women, and that's what drives them to help this person who has killed someone and get rid of the body. And it's just, it's just a wild ride. Yeah, and again, I think this book, you know, it makes you kind of question, or at least the main character, she, you know, she starts off by, you know, convincing herself that, you know, not thinking about what it is that her sister's doing, even though her sister, by I, I think when the book starts, her sister has killed, I think, three boyfriends, something like that. It's Several. definitely yes. multiple. This is not the first time that she has been called into action to help clean up a mess. But, you know, the reader... And the main character, like, you start off with this kind of, you know, warped, normally you think someone who has, yeah, who's killed three people is generally someone who is not a good person. But you start off with this distorted view, again, of morality, and then that shifts through the book. And, oh, yeah, this book just has so much stuff going in, going on with it. And, yeah, this is this is one of my favorite books to recommend, for sure. Yeah. Um, and so that's My Sister, the Serial Killer by Owen Braithwaite. All right. So my second pick is another book in translation. This one came out about 10 years ago. And this is also a very divisive book from what from just talking to different readers who have tackled it. And this is The Dinner by Herman Koch and translated by Sam Garrett. And this book, well, it was described as a a European Gone Girl, which I don't like the comparison because this was right, this was shortly after Gone Girl came out when psychological suspense was really like just kind of exploding everywhere. I mean, it's still exploding everywhere, but it was like every book that came out was being compared to Gone Girl. This one is an entirely different flavor from Gone Girl. I mean, I think it's nasty. 
I think, and, and nasty, I mean like sharp and just, you know, with the characters, the writing is, is really incisive. And I, I mean, I feel the same way about Gone Girl, but tone wise, totally different. And with the dinner, so this takes place, the present day timeline takes place over the course of a single evening in Amsterdam. There are two couples, um, I think two of them are in-law or or brothers, and so it's just, it's these two uh, family pairs uh, going out to dinner. And the story starts off just kind of the the conversation, you know, is fairly innocuous. But then as the present day timeline is interspersed with flashbacks, you start to piece together that something has happened. One of the families, their son has, well, actually each couple has a 15-year-old son, and they have committed a very, a very bad act together. And so you get this like you get this in little in little pieces like a patchwork quilt very demented patchwork quilt and so you go back and forth between you know kind of what happened in the past and the conversation that's happening at dinner and you start to see how the family is talking about talking around the incident and they're referring to it but not really referring to it and then everything suddenly has deeper meaning and the story progresses from there and the reason why I included this book, and I mean, by the fact, virtue of the fact that I call this one just just like a nasty piece of work, there are no good characters in this book. I will be upfront about that. If you're looking for someone to root for, you have found the wrong book. Um, and so that's why I picked this one as the villain's point of view. Because, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of bad bad vibes bad bad things happening bad tensions kind of simmering under the surface and so you get to spend a lot of time with these people and kind of inside their heads and yeah this book i have heard from people that they a lot of that readers found that they liked the audio version more i read it and i liked the print version but a lot of people, this book put off a lot of people. So I will I will say it is divisive. I did enjoy it. I think it did what it did very well. And I think the I do think the second half is stronger than the first half. But yeah, this was an this was another one that I that when I picked it, I was like, you know, it's not the like when we think, you know. From the villain's point of view, like, I, I think of the, I just immediately think of, like, some guy hiding in the bushes, like, you know, watching a family from the windows or something like that. That's the first thing that comes to mind. This is not that that type of book, but I think it hits on a lot of the same notes, and I think it does interesting things with the trope when you kind of view it from that lens. So have you read this one, perchance? I haven't, but I have seen the film adaption. Oh, interesting. I have not seen the film. So I, I might do reverse and listen to it after because I was like wondering what on earth is going. And, I, and you know, in the beginning of the movie, it is slow because you don't know what's going on. So I feel like it's probably similar with the book, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a while since I've read it. I read it. Oh, when did I publish? Hmm. Uh, and my Goodreads doesn't tell me when I published the 
the review that I that I wrote for it. But I'm going to say not long after it came out. So I'd say maybe eight to 10 years ago um, that I read it. But this was a book like I was looking at my shelf for inspiration. You know, what books do I want to talk about for this episode? And my eyes landed on that one. And I went, bingo. <laughs> That's I'm definitely talking about that one. So yeah, so this is an interesting pick. I will be, um, if any of you read it for the first time, uh, you'll have to let me know what you, what you think of it. And I, I will probably have to read it again to see if I feel the same way about it. But yeah, that is The Dinner by Herman Koch and translated by Sam Garrett. Well, those are our, our four picks. I feel like we have a nice little collection there. Um, and now I guess it's time for new releases. I mean, some great books coming out during spooky season. So we can do spooky season all year long. I'm cool with that too. Yes. But I want you to talk about your pick because I somehow missed this when I was looking at which new book I wanted to select. And I love how it's described. And this is immediately (laughs) on my radar now. So, well, my pick is Lavender House by Lev A.C. Rosen. Now, I love the description of this book, one, but also, did I pick it because it also sounds like Lavender Haze, which is a uh, buzzing right now for a certain uh, Taylor Swift's album coming out? Oh. Yes. Yes. Yes, I did also <laughs> choose it for that. I have a co-worker who is obsessed <laughs> with Taylor Swift, and we were just talking about that today. I mean, I don't, I don't even consider myself a Swifty, but like, I am fascinated by the discourse on TikTok for this new album. So I, I guess I'm just along for the ride. Oh, Lordy. All right. <laughs> well, Lavender House, the mystery slash thriller book. So this is from a new writer in the suspense genre, and it's set at Lavender House in 1952. Uh, so Irene uh, Lemontaine um, has died, but uh, she's like the queen of this like signature sense empire, and she kind of her wife thinks she's kind of just died under mysterious circumstances. So her widow. Um, Evander Mills hires this gay, uh, or I'm queer, I'm not sure if he's gay or not, this queer guy to come and inspect. And he has uh, actually just been caught in a raid um, at a gay bar, but he is a police officer or was, I, sh- I guess I should say. And so he is more than happy to have this work from her to be able to try to figure out what was going on with Irene's death. I think this is a really interesting setting and time period. And I imagine there's a lot of delicate info that the police officer, former police officer, inspector person will have to uh, go through. But it, I love, I don't know, there's just kind of my vibes of the kind of mystery and thrillers that I want to. There's like secrets and I don't know. I love, I love finding out secrets of rich dead people. <laughs> that's very specific, isn't it? <laughs> it is, that but <laughs> that's, I mean, it's a popular, you know, it's it's a popular trope in, you know, mystery fiction for a reason. And there are a lot of readers who feel the same way as you do. Well, I, I'm excited to hear about this one. As always, if you all read this before we get to it, always feel free to reach out and tell us what you think, because I haven't read it yet. And I really want to see more reviews, too. <laughs> so my pick is Anywhere You Run by Wanda M. Morris, which comes out on October 25th. And I picked this one because I read 
her debut novel, All Her Little Secrets, which came out last year, and I loved it. And so I was really excited to see that she had a new book coming out. So if you read All Her Little Secrets or are vaguely familiar with the book, what the author does a really good job of is the the book is a legal thriller, but she incorporates issues of racism and the patriarchy and just, you know, all of all of these different social issues. And she interweaves them with this, you know, this really suspenseful legal story. And she just, you know, she she did such a skillful job. It was such a page turner. And this book look, looks like it does a lot of the same. So with this, this book takes place in Mississippi during the Jim Crow era. And you follow, you're following two sisters. One of them is, uh, her name is Violet Richards. She's 22. And in the summer of 1964, three innocent men are brutally murdered for trying to help Black Mississippi residents secure the right to vote. And so with this kind of happening in the background, Violet Richards is finding herself in more trouble than she has ever been in in her life. She has been attacked herself and she ends up killing the man responsible. But because she is a black woman, there is no way that she is going to be, you know, even if she argues that it's in self-defense, there's no way that she's going to be acquitted of this. And so before anyone can investigate or find the body, she just, she decides to run. And with the help of her boyfriend, who is white, um, she escapes to a small town in Georgia. And so she thinks that she has escaped everything. But of course, in these types of books, she has not escaped everything. And danger may be closer than she is than she thinks. Now, I mentioned there were two sisters. So Marigold is Violet's older sister who's living in Jackson, and she has dreams of attending law school. And she's been working on the Mississippi Summer Project and trying to assist with the cause of securing the right to vote for the Black citizens of Mississippi. But she is in a different kind of trouble, namely that she is pregnant and she is not married. And after news of the murder that's happened brings the police to her door, she decides it's time to leave Jackson as well. And so she heads north. So she thinks, okay, there's no segregation up north. Um, I'm in a better position to have a better life. But underneath all of that has she actually made a really terrible choice for herself, for her unborn child. You know, is, has she, you know, out of the frying pan and into the fire, so to speak. So basically we have two sisters on the run and there is one man on their trail and he is, has his own motives for seeking them out. So this book sounds like it's got plot twists, it's got secrets, it's got real, like, I mean, there's the suspense of being chased, but there's also the fears of racism and all of the other social justice issues that were happening at the time. And just, you know, I think this is going to be a really interesting book. I think it's, you know, the time period is going, you know, there's going to be a lot of, you know, examination of just how fraught in so many ways life was for for Black people living in the South or in the North at that time, just, you know, living in America during the 60s. And I have really high hopes for this one. So again, that is Anywhere You Run by Wanda M. Morris, and that is out on the 25th.
My goodness. I I am excited now. I feel like that is the story of our lives, always adding to our TBR. Oh, yeah. And her, <laughs> like I said, her first book, All Her Little Secrets, was so good. And I, I marked that one because we have several patrons that come in that love legal thrillers. And this one I marked off as one to, to give to them because I'm like, yeah, this, this, one's, a little, this one's a little bit different. So mm, I loved it so much. All right. Well, that is our show. And thanks to all of you for listening. And thanks, as always, to our wonderful, wonderful sound editor, Jen Zink, for making us sound great, as always. For show notes, you can head over to bookriot.com slash listen. For more book recommendations and bookish goodness, head over to bookriot.com. And don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen. Or you can just search Book Riot on your podcast player of choice. If you want to send us an email with feedback or show suggestions, uh, you can reach us at writerdead at bookriot.com. Otherwise, you can reach me, Kendra, at Twitter at KD Winchester. That's K's and Kite, D is in Dylan Winchester. And you can find Katie on Twitter at KT Library Lady. That's K's and Kite, T as in Tango Library Lady. KT underscore Library Lady. That will also be in the show notes. So you can just click a link. We love links. Anyway, we will talk to you all next time. <laughs> Bye. Bye.